Hi, I'm Dr. Jennifer Jones, your host for The Secret Life of Neurohospitalists, where we explore the unique experience of neurologists who work exclusively in the hospital. For this episode, I talked to two of my colleagues about a subject that everyone knows is off-limits, religion. It's not something we typically talk about with people we don't know well, because it can be a divisive and difficult subject. But the hospital is a place for conversations about messy human things. Poop and pee, vomit, bad habits, losing control of our minds and bodies. And naturally, religious beliefs can enter the conversation. Most of the time, it's just that, a reference in conversation which is easy and natural and non-confrontational. But every so often, a patient or family will ask me very directly about my own personal religious beliefs, and that makes me uncomfortable. Maybe it's because I sense some implied judgment in the question, which may not be fair, but it is a part of it. But also, and potentially more importantly, it makes me uncomfortable because I don't think it has much relevance to the care I'm providing. Or does it? Is it the role of the provider to care for their patient's physical, emotional, and spiritual health? It certainly seems fair to recognize that the emotional and spiritual health of a patient can affect the physical body. But the thing about modern medicine is that it is, at least ideally, based in evidence, reproducible findings that get at truths that no one provider can know from her own experience, no matter how extensive. It took nearly 20,000 patients in the International Stroke Trial, for example, to reveal that heparin did more harm than good after an ischemic stroke, and hence changed the practice for many an older neurologist. One individual provider couldn't know this from her own experience, no matter how long she'd been in practice. But many people are emphatic and confident about what other people need to do for their spiritual or emotional health. And this is almost always based in nothing but strong personal conviction. And this isn't limited to religious beliefs. It can be about what diet one should try or what kind of yoga or meditation or therapy. Lots of people have strong opinions based in intuition and anecdote and not much else. And though a lot of it can sound logical on its surface, like heparin after an ischemic stroke, it's anyone's guess what the overall impact of it might be on a population. So these are some of my thoughts on the subject of talking religion with patients. Let's see what my colleagues, Dr. Melanie Greenway and nurse practitioner Katie Schulman had to say on this topic. Um, so, all right, Melanie, a patient who said to me, you know, in the course of, of talking about her prognosis and what was happening to her, um, and then she just said, you know, it's all in the Lord's hand. Have you taken the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And even though this happens to me like twice a year reliably, I still don't have a great answer for this. Yeah. And so it always catches me off a little bit. You know, I kind of just, you know, work with the circumstances at hand. But do you have a response for that when that happens to you? And how often does that happen to you? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, it's a very difficult topic, and it feels so personal to me, um, and uh, something that I, I would I would never ask another person. So when it comes up, I still don't really know exactly how to respond, and I try to take it kind of moment by moment or case by case, and kind of depending on the person that's in front of me and what they need, I try to pull together some response that's respectful and um, not offensive, but also true to myself and my own questions that I have. And yeah. So I don't, I, I wish there it was a way to know what the right thing is to say. But I know, I know. And it's even, even since, since that happened recently, you know, I started looking it up and I was saying, you know, that I, I thought, you know, there were um, guidelines and 
the AMA looks like it sort of says, consider, you know, the circumstances, what is the patient actually getting at and things, you know, are they afraid of their outcome? Are they nervous and maybe try and reassure them in some way? But I guess it doesn't, it doesn't really answer the question. Like, I mean, I suppose on one hand, if you were religious, would you just say, yes, let me pray with you? I mean, and would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think, um, you know, in a lot of ways, at least many of the people that I know um, and other physicians and people I talk to are, they kind of have a spectrum from either very religious or not religious, or I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't really know even at this stage where um, I lie with some of that. And and so I never want to be dishonest, but I also want to know that I, I can want the patient to know that I connect with them on a very deep and oftentimes spiritual level. And so um it's very difficult. I, I grew up going to church. And so sometimes we'll say I, I grew up going to church and that can help. And sometimes I think patients just want to know that you can speak the same language and talk about the same things on the same level. And, and so I just try to provide space for that and try to listen to what they have to say, but I, I don't really ever know how to answer it. And I know that that's not the moment for me to reckon with my own religious beliefs. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> But it's hard not to kind yeah. of get in your head about that. So, yeah. I don't know. Did, now, did you find it, so I know you've been here a year and a half, and then you were in Florida and Jacksonville also. Do you yeah. see any differences like oh, regionally? Difference. Yeah. In Florida, this came up um, less than once a year, uh, for sure. I was there for five years and can probably count on one hand the number of times I was faced with that. And, and here, it feels like it's maybe every three or four months you're getting it yeah i don't and i don't know if it's um i don't know why that is but um definitely cultural regional differences yeah that is interesting and i sometimes wonder if it's different for men and women yeah i'll try and talk to some of our male colleagues and see if they get this as often yeah yeah that would be really interesting Mm -hmm. to know how often they get the same question posed to them um and I, I, find a, I find a lot of patients want to talk religion like they'll just maybe they're making assumptions, you know, based on demographics. Yeah. White yeah. American woman. I sound like I'm Southern. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. But then basically, um, I think it'll come up like, well, it's in the Lord's hand and stuff, but it's it's infrequent that I just am directly asked to declare myself. Yeah. And that's where I. I just find that really troubling. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just sometimes want to say I'm Jewish. Um, I'm not, <laughs> but, you know, I just wonder how does that feel for a Jewish doctor? Right, I don't right. know. Or, yeah, and and never has a Jewish it. patient or a, like, um, Cherokee nation or a Muslim or yeah. a Buddhist person asked me to pray with them. Yeah, yeah, I've never <laughs> had that that experience. I, I think there's a lot of assumptions that are made and. Um, in our community, yeah, that everyone is on the same page about that, and to to question it at all would be um, such a far out idea that they that our patients can't even um, can't even grasp that there would be an answer other than yes, a hundred percent, I yeah have accepted Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, and any variation on that theme is just so foreign that um that that. There's a trust issue there, you know. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it makes it very challenging to be a doctor and also um, 
feel with that when it's introduced into the conversation. Yeah, it really does. And then I was, I was thinking about um, if a patient said to me, Oh, listen, I'm just superstitious. Like, would you touch my little rabbit paw here? Or, you know, yeah. when you say these magical words, abracadabra and, and tap your head, I would probably be like, oh, sure, whatever. Yeah, whatever you I mean. I mean, I don't care. But yeah. but then somehow I think there's a level of sincerity, which is what you're getting at. Like, yeah. it feels very uncomfortable to say, oh, sure, I'll just pray with you when you're just kind of thinking, um, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. Like yeah. I said, I want to be honest, but I also want to be respectful, and I yeah. want patients to trust that um, I'm acting in their best interest and yeah. doing the best thing for them. So, um, yeah, I, yeah. But I, I agree. That I never thought about that. If <laughs> no. uh, if someone were to say, "Would you touch my lucky rabbit's feather?" Like, oh yeah, sure, why? Not? Right, right. But so, there, it's there's something much deeper when it is comes to religion. Yeah, because it's more assuming it's something very personal to you as well, or something. I don't know. But, you know, I was looking, okay, so along those lines, I looked up some articles about, okay, um, could there be some effect, you know, mind-body connections, and as physician healers, we want to take care of the whole patient if we can, and, yeah. like, um, I had a couple of thoughts there. One is, wouldn't it be funny if there was some good evidence that, say, a prayer before thrombectomy helped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be very hard. And then I was thinking, so as I looked up some of this evidence, which is, by the way, all over the place, like yeah. there's you know, yeah. some studies that showed some benefits. There's some that show people did worse. There's oh, some wow. that say there's nothing. It just makes yeah. you think, A, there's so many variables. Yeah. I mean, it would have to matter who are the people praying. Right. Are they, you know, in the club or it could just be anybody? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I was thinking as I was looking at that, you know, I, I didn't delve into it in any kind of specifics, but I was thinking I would probably have a bias and require a higher threshold. Yeah. Like it would have to be darn strong evidence. Yeah. You know, probably stronger than our TN case. Yeah. Yeah. It would. <laughs> for, for me to, you know, start, start adding that to like a protocol. Yeah. I mean, that all seems so absurd. And I guess it's just not really the realm that we're operating in. You know, yeah. we're just in a physical realm. Yeah. We're looking at biological processes. But yeah. then I suppose they can make an argument that our mental states and our spiritual states affect our biological processes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very interesting because I think if you look back at physicians, and I'm no expert on, on the history of medicine, but physicians in you know the 16, 1700s yeah. had a lot more spiritual spirituality yeah. to them in their role as healers. And then we've gone through this kind of um, scientific phase and now right. we're, we're solely evidence-based and, and scientific-based and fact-based. And I do wonder sometimes um, how much of that is just kind of on this pendulum and at some point in the future, if that may change and yeah, spirituality be introduced back in. Because I, I think sometimes for me, for example, the art of the physical exam is something that is lost on a lot of um, my colleagues because there's this thought that it doesn't really matter because you've got labs, you've got CTs, you've got MRIs. So right. what do you need the exam for? But for me, it's not only like the physical aspect of doing the exam, but it's also almost like a, a, a spiritual connection that you have with your patient. And you can see so much more of them when you have your hands on them. And yeah, it's not and you're religious, paying attention. but it is like, yeah, you know, yeah. it is a, a next level connection to a patient that I think is very valuable. And, and my hope is that it kind of swings back and 
and maybe not go back to like um, putting leeches on people to suck out their soul or whatever, but you know, balancing their humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's something to that kind of, that, that, that connection that you have to a person, whether it's a religious connection or a spiritual connection or. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so interesting because, you know, sometimes I think about that and I think about, you know, if you think about the church and historically say the Catholic church, for example, being highly, you know, highly um, dominant and potentially abusive. Yeah. And then just because somebody says something with authority by the church, it gets, you know, credibility and authority. So you can see the pendulum swinging against like, no, 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 we're just going with science and rational thinking and evidence and proof and reproducible proof and not miracles and magical thinking. But then it does sort of seem like it swings too far where it's kind of like, we can't say anything. I mean, for a time they thought that babies couldn't experience pain. Right. Like what? Yeah. You know, are, I mean, yeah. it doesn't have to take, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it's it swung far. so far. Yeah. Like what are we machines? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, there is some spiritual yeah. element to our lives and our health. Yeah. I, think, I know. I think there must be. There's so much, you know, that we can't explain with all of the science that we have. Right. And so right. why not? You know, if it helps someone spiritually for me to sit down with them and listen to what they have to say on a religious basis uh, even if it doesn't affect the evidence that i use to treat a patient um, if it may provide them with some level of comfort or or healing on a spiritual level then then it should be okay i mean there are times where it becomes difficult i think for some of us with for example, Jehovah's Witnesses when they won't receive blood and yeah. they need it, and that yeah. can be a challenge. Yeah. That's an interesting mm-hmm. conversation in and of itself. I feel <laughs> pretty um, pretty strongly about that. We've actually had some people come through the hospital in the last we do have few some. weeks that um, have been on a, a spectrum of their beliefs as a Jehovah's Witness and what blood products they'll take and won't take, and um, and I, I have heard a lot of people have very strong opinions about that. And, um, and, and my opinion is always that I'm not a, a theologian. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I can't rationalize those types of beliefs and, and nor should I. So I just try to accept what they tell me and, um, and do the best I can to work within their system to help them get better. However, they want me to and, um, uh, leave the theology to them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can't be <laughs> yeah. saying what's okay with their yeah, I, yeah. religious doctrine or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of people will yeah. try to try to rationalize or justify, well, why will they take plasma and not whole blood? Or, or why will they take 30% packed red blood cells and not 100%? And I just try to remind my colleagues, like, it doesn't matter <laughs> right. why. Um, it just, you it just have seems to take arbitrary, it for what it is. It but, does yeah, seem arbitrary. Yeah. It seems totally arbitrary from our perspective but it just doesn't it doesn't matter at the end of the day you have to work within their spiritual realm right and And i think all religious beliefs and probably all of us in our whatever beliefs have some sort of irrational magical oh yeah yeah i'm sure there are many things like even we won't talk about oh it's been quiet at golf you know (laughs) because then we know yeah the floor will drop out and there you go like yeah oh so in some of those studies okay this one was a triple blind randomized triple blind meaning the patients the providers and the statisticians evaluating the results didn't have awareness of who was allocated to what group 
and they were women in Korea, in South Korea, who um, did in vitro for a pregnancy. And then people who prayed for them were in, oh no, sorry, it was USA, Canada, and Australia. Anyway, there was a, a 50% increase. There were like 200 something consecutive patients and a 50% increase in implantation and pregnancy in the prayed for group. What? Yes, and the p-value was 0. 0.005. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it still feels like you could, you know, yeah. flip a coin. I don't know, but that's yeah. what the p-value is yeah. supposed to address, right? Do you know how many patients? There, there were 200 oh, and so there were 219 consecutive patients. Wow. And nobody knew who was in what group. Yeah. And I mean, that just raises so many questions, right? Yeah. Who were the people doing the praying? Yeah. And what, so they had a name and they just like literally prayed to some deity yeah. for this name person yeah. to get pregnant. Yeah, in another country. In another country. Yeah. I mean, that's so bizarre. But then there were two other studies I found that one, and these other two were on cardiac outcomes, like mm -hmm. in um, you know coronary artery disease and post-procedural outcomes. One of them had no difference, and they had many more patients. I didn't write down all the details of these. And then one of them had a worse outcome in the prayed oh, wow. for group. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, I don't know if this is reflecting more on uh, on whether we should be praying with our patients or not, or how much we should be trusting some of the other scientific yeah. studies that yeah. we make right. our clinical decisions. Well, by. that's why I was thinking, yeah, like, what? Crazy. So, like, in the um, you know, the NINDS or whatever yeah. our outcomes for stroke yeah. is probably yeah. not as robust as that one. Yeah, where, I mean, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. I know. And then one of them, one question I saw just come up on some forum was, is it? reasonable that my doctor asked me asked to pray with oh me before the surgery and i'm an atheist oh yeah that i have i haven't much, heard of that i haven't heard of that either yeah. i i don't think that would be appropriate no. because of there's such a hierarchy there yeah it seems um, a clear violation of yeah, boundaries very clear and then so so how about in training you're kind of fresh out of training did you get yeah. any talk about it. I mean, I don't think we no, generally do. No. Nobody tells you how to, yeah. I mean, you might get some like procedural institutional, like managing the difficult patient, but that's not to say how yeah. to manage like religious conversations. No, yeah. I don't remember that coming up in any training at all. Mm -hmm. What, how to, how to navigate that for all of the, um, you know, there's so much simulation in medicine and medical training now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we simulate breaking bad news. We yeah. simulate the difficult patient who's yelling and screaming yeah. but I, that would be a very good simulation for medical education yeah to have um this sort of religious kind of uh um, angle to it and 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 christian religion and and all other religions because um, maybe it just gets you thinking it does least. you yeah, know it's an important question for us have you prepared so that you're not thrown off guard um, yeah by what to do in those scenarios and it's kind of it's kind of important stuff to think about just in general yeah like this relationship between yeah. our spiritual and yeah. emotional lives and our yeah. physical yeah. bodies and, and how that interacts with the patients that we're mm -hmm. taking care of so, yeah yeah definitely and then i was thinking like you know in our i wonder if there's anything about our neurology patients that makes it more likely that they might be asking more of course you know we're just neurologists so we haven't done other disciplines yeah. but like maybe sometimes if it's an older population maybe they're disinhibited because i think most people intuitively you know respect some boundaries yeah. about asking very personal things you yeah. know but yeah and that, so so sometimes i just wonder you know is it maybe just like a disinhibited 
I think person. maybe, but I also think that as neurologists, we're kind of unique in, in the amount of time we spend with patients. So many yeah. other doctors don't allow any opportunity for si- silence. Oh, that's they, for sure. You know, come yeah. in and then they leave as quickly as they can because they have to move on to the next thing. But part of neurology is is getting to the soul of a person, yeah. and the, the mind of a person a lot of times. And, and I, at least in my practice, I allow a lot of opportunity for silence so that if someone has another question or if there's a gray area about something I'm saying, they can ask. And, um, and part of that may open me up to these types of things more than type it's of important, an ophthalmologist, though, yeah. for example, yeah, yeah. who only has 10 minutes with a patient. Right. Most of that time is answering questions about a or b you know <laughs> you don't have time to get into what's does your your... <laughs> your head hurt a lot or a little yeah a lot or a little. <laughs> yeah yeah they don't have time to get into you know uh, these bigger questions yeah yeah that's right and and i also think the topic that we deal with with our patients and their families can be so extreme life and death wise yeah you know a, a lot of other um specialties hosp- neuro hospitalist work is unique in that way because yeah. we're often seeing people on the worst day of their lives and uh, it's on the worst day of your life that you start wondering about your own mortality and whether or not you have an answer to that <laughs> yes that's true and so, families you know yeah. dealing with horrific you know unexpected outcomes or yeah, something. yeah yeah very sudden it's not like um oncology oftentimes where there's a gradual buildup it's right. just kind of a light switch the problem with cerebrovascular disease specifically is it just happens so suddenly. So, yes. um, and I think that's a point at which people need that comfort and, and reassurance the most. So that may be part of it too. I think you're right. Like they, yeah. they fall back into what comforts them or the tools they yeah. have to manage you know, yeah. difficulties in life. And that often yeah. is religion or spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I think another thing that is unfortunately with our political landscape, you know, it often oh, tends yeah. to be, it can feel to me like it's a, a testing of the waters. Like I don't even yeah. ask who's the president. Oh, anymore. neither do I. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. No, but I don't want to hear your like innuendo yeah. no matter yeah. where you're yeah. coming from. So <laughs> I've stopped that question. And then the religion question can feel like it's trying to suss out That's your politics. True. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm happy to tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it feels that, yeah. like a little fraught that way. Yeah. But, but for me, I want to try not to think of that that way because I, I want to be like you're saying. It's like this is just the tool a person has to navigate troubled yeah. times, and this is how they operate in the world. So like I can't see it that way. You yeah. know? So I try not to. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard. It is hard. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. I I started in medical training in Barack Obama's time, and you're taught in medical school to ask you know, what's your name and where are we and what is the date and who's the president? And every time I asked that, it was trouble. Yeah. <laughs> One oh, way yeah. or the other, it was mm-hmm. trouble. And then, right. Because you do worry about the bias, the subconscious bias that that introduces right. into your mind when you're making decisions. And I want to stay away from that as best I can. But um, That's right. Yeah. We kind of have to separate ourselves from that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's little cues like what channel's on when you walk in the yeah. room. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah, no, that, and that's the same thing. You know, I often uh, will see a certain channel come on and want to turn it off because of my own feelings. But then I think, again, that's what is comforting that person in that moment. Yeah. And if they want to watch that channel, then um, and that's going to comfort them, then fine, I'll switch it to them for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll find the number on the thing and spend whatever time it takes to get on the channel they want. 
Right. I won't condone McDonald's or that sort of thing. Right, but right. If they want to watch some garbage <laughs> on TV, then that's fine with me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Another question I have for you. So there are times when I might find myself rarely, because I'm pretty private about my own experiences, but my own personal losses in my family, for example. Mm -hmm. And I might see a family who I resonate with, you know, just kind of understand what they're going through. And very rarely I might share, oh, I've been through a similar situation. I'm never sure if that's right. Like, A, I'm not sure. They, They usually, it's pretty uncommon for me. And I think often it seems to be appreciated, but then I might walk away thinking, you know, maybe that's unfair to put on them even. Like this is their time. They don't need to feel like, oh, the poor doctor has been through this too or whatever. Yeah. But are there times, and then so so sometimes I might share a a personal experience, but I I generally don't because I don't think it's the right thing after having, you know, sort of occasionally done that. And then secondly, sometimes, you know, especially if you're with a family for a week, you know, you really get to know them and they're losing a loved one and you've kind of spent a lot of time with them. I might give a card or like a poem oh, yeah. to them. I usually have two poems. I, I like the um, James Dickey Hospital Window. You know, James Dickey, he's a North Carolina poet. Oh, I mean, I he's know. dead, but he's yeah. he's a wonderful poet. He was poet laureate, I think, for a little while. And then um, another one about what is death. It's like a, mm. a 1700. They're pretty secular, you know, they're yeah. secular, but Anyway, and I also wonder about that sometimes. I usually will do that like when I'm leaving, like when yeah. I'm going off. But I, I wonder about the appropriateness of that. It usually seems well received. I yeah. mean, I don't do it like as in a, I'm putting my sorrow or my sympathies in there. I, I do it when it's a particular family that I seem to have resonated with. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I don't know if that's appropriate. You know, do you do you do you ever find yourself like? personally um, affected and, and reaching out in ways that are atypical for you with families? I, I definitely feel, you feel those connections. You see the people you know and the people you take care of. And um, certainly some people affect me a lot more than, than others. I, yeah, I of course. It of sounds course. like yeah. weird to say that, but it's, you know, course. everybody yeah, <laughs> affects yeah. you differently. I have, I have often thought about sharing personal experience. And I have had that same hesitation yeah. because I don't want to put my problems on someone else. Not that they're my problems, but you know, I, right, I, right. And I don't want to take away from the experience that family is having. But I also think, in some ways, providing that connection can be helpful. It kind of normalizes it in a way that people often right. need things to be normalized. Right. And so I, I'm very conflicted on that. I am. I don't too. know. I don't yeah. have a good way of doing that. And then, I mean, my, my mom died from a, a hemorrhagic stroke, you know, oh, so wow, like yeah. how often do we see that? that? Yeah. And that, that was in 2016. So it's wow. been a while. Yeah. And so I, when I, when I have said to a family, again, I, I increasingly don't, but when I have, I, I will say, well, I do understand this, you know, I've been through that. And, and most of the time it's kind of like, it might be say the adult child, daughter mm. or son, and then they might say to the spouse she's had her mother and and it sort of makes the spouse yeah. say oh she knows what she's doing yeah. but it you know i think there could be a time where it wouldn't go down that way where it'd be like oh she's not seeing this clearly because this right. happened to her mom and she's right. biased or yeah. whatever yeah so i do think it's fraught you know yeah. yeah 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 i don't know i think sometimes you get kind of a feeling about a person that that they would be a family that would yeah respect that but sometimes that feeling can be wrong and shoot you in the foot but um you know i i think it's appropriate 
to share in the right circumstance, I think, for now. But you're right, I do question that every time I've got a patient in a situation that feels familiar. I, I'm very hesitant to share. I haven't, I haven't ever given a family a card or a poem. And that might have come from me from the outpatient. Because, you know, in the yeah. outpatient, you establish these long relationships. Yeah. And I did that for 10 years before I came in yeah. to the neurohospitalist at work. And then, you know, I would even occasionally go to a funeral or something, uh, yeah. you know, like you really get to know families and patients. So it seemed kind of natural. And this work is so different, though, because, you know, we may we may admit a person and then not see them again. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're on for a week and you get those good connections, sometimes yeah. I feel like it needs something. I mean, it's pretty infrequent. I could say yeah. probably less than 10 times a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. but yeah. but. Every now and then, I just think, I think this family would appreciate a card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very nice. I'll have to think about that. I don't know. It, it just gets, sometimes you do get so, like, machinist, I think, in mm -hmm. in your in, in my approach. And I want to separate, you know, as best I can, that I forget to reengage and think, like, this person and family could use yeah. a little more. Than, well, and I think it's helpful yeah. for us, too. Yeah. You know, like our own true. processing of it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a lot. You know, I, I guess we learn how to silo everything, but sometimes you're carrying yeah, some of that. I haven't learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to learn how to silo some of that. Yeah, yeah it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. Yeah. And I mean, maybe we shouldn't. You know. Yeah, I. Maybe I, the work of I healing. I told myself when I was an intern, my very first patient in August, who was like 40, dying from pancreatic cancer, who reminded me of my uncle. It was just heartbreaking to watch. And I left him after a week of being on with him and his wife and his daughter in the room, who was like 10. And as I was leaving, I burst into tears because I knew he was going to die in the next few yeah. days. And I, I sat in that hallway or stairwell crying. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I ever get to a point where I'm not crying about something like this, then I need another job. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. why would you ever want to be facing this without that emotional. I mean, it's such a privilege. Yeah, it really it's is. It's such a privilege to, to be in these spaces with people. Yeah. And, you know, like if you were just doing it like, meanwhile, I got to go. <laughs> I got to go, yeah. That yeah. would just yeah. take any joy out of it. Yeah. And yeah. joy is not the right word, but the oh, no. intensity, the yeah. significance, the meaning. The you meaning. Know? The yeah. meaning of life and, mm -hmm. and family and, you know, people and suffering you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it shows with you. You are very thoughtful <laughs> and deliberative, and yeah. I love your approach. And you, you do. I know that you give your patients time. I mean, I haven't watched you with your <laughs> patients, but I just see how you approach everything. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. calm, cool, collected, and you're gonna take the time that it needs. Yeah, no matter how yeah. much time that is, we'll take. Mm -hmm. We'll do it, and yeah. whatever emotion it is, or spirituality it is, whatever it, whatever the moment needs, I'll put into it. Um, yeah, and then one day I'll learn how to protect myself from it. Um, but until then, or maybe you know, not. Yeah, or maybe. Yeah, not. maybe not. Maybe you just go part time like me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eventually. Uh, my name is Katie Schulman. I am an uh, adult geriatric acute care nurse practitioner. I've been um, here at Mission since 2014. Um, I was with a neurosurgery practice before then, and then uh, I was a neuro ICU nurse for seven years before then. <laughs> so, um, lived in the world of neurology um, for 
all of my professional career. Um, I had a sister with epilepsy, and so uh, patients and families will ask me to pray with them. As a as a provider and as a person, you need to be true to yourself. Number right. one. So it can be a very sensitive request, depending on what your beliefs are. You know, you know, patient provider relationship. I think you need you need you know empathy for your patient and, and what's going on. You need to have good communication to build that trust. And it's not something to be brushed off, um, but at the same time, if, if that makes you uncomfortable, if you don't have religion in your life, um, to fake it seems like you're kind of breaking that trust too. Um, so there's probably ways around it, in my opinion, right. where if you aren't a religious person, um, you can, you know, offer to be with them, to address their fears, you know, have a moment of silence with them. I think uh, I personally um, was brought up in a Christian faith. I am, I've never been comfortable praying out loud. <laughs> so, so that, that is something that I would, I would be uncomfortable with. But I, um, you know, for me personally, I've been silent with patients while they or their family or their pastors as I mean I've walked in on pastors at the bedside who ask and it's a group of people asking you know if I would pray with them and um, so for me personally I'm, I'm fine with with being part of that and and you know offering some support now um, if a patient wants to know if you're if you have a certain belief that's in line with their belief um, in order to trust you, um, you have to be honest with that person. But I think that you can convey, you can still have their trust in other ways. I think some of the thing that I find interesting about this is that even though I've been doing this for so long, I am caught off guard every time mm -hmm. or frequently. But sometimes it just catches me off. And when I'm asked straightforward, have you accepted the Lord or, or you know, are you Christian? I just usually hedge and say something like, oh, I was brought up that way. But it, it always makes me uncomfortable in that very personal way because I think, well, what if I wasn't? What would that yeah. mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it might just be something they're wondering and it doesn't affect their confidence in you one way or another. But it always feels very much like there's a lot hinging on that or, you know, yeah. tied to that question somehow. It can be conveyed as you know can I trust you right and uh, lying to them isn't the right way <laughs> right right like or, misrepresenting you know, it's yeah, just insincere right. but, yeah. uh, but trying to get to the root of, of their insecurity they're um, again they're vulnerable because I think there are very few things that that I could think of as an analogy you know when I was mm -hmm. thinking about questions or thinking about this conversation I was kind of thinking in what circumstance would I want to ask when would it be very important for me to know the personal beliefs of a person whose services I need? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for expertise in various areas, but health is really, like your personal health is really unlike anything else I could think of as a comparator. It is, it is. And, and um, there are situations, you know, with prayer and, and, and prayer groups and, and, you know, with all religions, if someone is sick in the hospital, you know, the prayers go, you know, to, to, you know, the doctors and the nurses yeah. and, and, um, you know, so to go to someone who is an atheist, you know, as, as your doctor, um, you know, that could have 
you know, meaning for the patient. Right. Um, Could there be medical benefits for prayer? Maybe. I don't know. Again, there's nothing that convinced me that there is but there's some that are good some that are bad some that are nothing Mm -hmm. you know and then I thought it also could be helpful for the community or the family you know like that's definitely another part of medicine is just caring for the the whole entire family Mm -hmm. and especially in these acute settings you know where that is a part of what we have to do (laughs) yeah I think um to you know if they're asking you to be the one that prays. <laughs> that would different be yeah. Than being with them during their prayer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Like if somebody said, "Can we meditate together?" I'd probably say, "Sure." Yeah. I have never been comfortable um, praying out loud. It's just not even even being brought up in in a Christian yeah household. Um, um, you know, we would perhaps yeah. out loud you know, pray in some way, but, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't common. So I don't feel comfortable necessarily with like the small group prayer. Right. uh, So I wouldn't know what to say. I've never been asked by any other religion. And of course it's overly, overly represented. Everything is going to be Christian more or less, but I've never been asked by another faith to participate or for that matter, even asked to, to define my own beliefs. It seems that that is a Christian question mm-hmm. but that may be just our culture as well I yeah uh, I have been asked are you a Christian more than once yes mm-hmm. yeah specifically right yeah or or have you accepted you know Jesus right. as your savior I also do want to think about where my patient's coming from and if that's important I don't mind like I really don't if I if I thought this is going to be important for the framework of this person mm-hmm. understanding that they're going to get better mm-hmm. over time or whatever it seems okay to to be having that conversation, but I don't want to have to talk about, you know, the Christian belief and all that. I, I don't. And you shouldn't. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and again, that, that I think that trust relationship, whether they know it or not, you know it. Okay. Do you ever pray silently for your patients? I do. Oh, that's so sweet. I, I love that. It's very personal. And, um, like so I, sweet. I, I and do, again, I don't I need do to like overstep with personal. Um, especially the, the patients who, are going to pass and they're oh. alone and oh, I don't I don't pray out loud right but just in uh, your heart but uh yeah. but I say I say I try to say very I guess loving things to them out loud and mm-hmm. then and then I do sort of I again it's for myself I'm not I'm not you know praying for their soul but right. just uh just maybe something simple like just Love be with and, them yeah and, and not suffering yeah yeah that's very sweet I like it and there, there's another potential benefit just like for you as a provider personally mm-hmm. you know to benefit from some religious context of what mm-hmm. we do you know because yeah, it's sort I, of interesting like we meet under the auspices of just like clinical scientific things but obviously a lot of what we do is outside of that Mm-hmm. umbrella you know it's like we are taking care of a lot of other aspects of patients and families yeah and so you have to kind of consider that you don't get much direction I looked at some you know articles about what's recommended and mm-hmm. it's part of what makes this job very satisfying yeah is that vulnerability that you have between people and that trust and that knowledge that you yeah. can help or or that you can't and knowing that and you know with neurologically impaired people we are always trying to reach them in some way and and, and it's and it's you have to be creative sometimes yeah and, and um and 
you know, with music, with touch, with, um, you know, familiar sounds, mm -hmm. um, tone of voice, you know, they may not be able to understand what words you use, but, you know, yeah. you come in positive and, and, you know, convey that feeling that I'm happy to see you. And, yeah. And, and actually um, being that. Yeah, yeah. And actually feeling that. And, um, and then I feel like, um, my faith helps me there. Like I feel, I feel, I feel like I, you know, I, I can reach them in some way. And that is excellent. Well, first I want to thank Katie and Melanie for being willing to have this conversation with me on this difficult topic. One thing that is clear is that this kind of work can involve spiritually and emotionally intense situations for not only the patients, but also the providers. We care for patients and families under enormously stressful circumstances. We do what we can to help patients heal and recover from acute neurological illnesses. And in that context, we do consider their emotional and spiritual health. Most of the time, these concerns are in deference to the more pertinent care of the body. But sometimes they're in the forefront, often when things look dire and there isn't too much more to do. It's in these instances, often when patients are dying, that these conversations are really the only tools we have to discuss the next steps. And many of us find it uncomfortable to talk about religion directly with patients, despite having our own spiritual and emotional needs and beliefs at play in these most challenging circumstances. So although I don't think I'll ever have a sincere, ready response for when a patient asks if I've accepted the Lord Jesus as my personal savior, what I've gleaned in these conversations with my colleagues is that we are all attuned to the spiritual aspects of illness and find it an important part of the work. So finding an authentic, compassionate way to have these conversations with patients who may have a different framework for interpreting life is just a part of good care. I've been your host, Dr. Jennifer Jones, and I'll see you next time on The Secret Lives of Neurohospitalists.